Well, for two weeks, we've been looking at what God's Word says about money. And so turn with me in your Bibles again to Luke chapter 12. But as you do so, I want to make some comments before we read these final verses. Because I'm afraid if I don't, oh, you may be startled and taken back by what we're going to read today. Because here's what's going to happen. The tone of Jesus' talk takes a turn. As he ramps it up and sticks the landing on this whole subject of money and possessions. Basically, he's going to thump this whole theme one more time of stewardship. That we are stewards, managers, just handling God's stuff, God's money. He's going to thump it again. But oh, here's what he's going to do. And then he's going to connect it, that mindset of stewardship, to that final judgment day. As he drives home to us the fact, you guys, that each of us are going to give an account to God. Not just for our lives in general, but for what we give and what we do with his stuff. All of it. Because it all comes from him, you will answer to him for what you did with it. And so will I. And so you might want to buckle up because it gets pretty intense towards the end of chapter 12 as Jesus moves on from flowers and birds to setting the earth on fire and people getting hacked in pieces. Yikes, this is not gentle, lowly Jesus in a manger. You know, so often we emphasize that and we highlight that. And it's all true. Today, he says, whosoever will may come. Today, he says, are you burdened and heavy? Come unto me and find rest. There is a gentle, lowly Jesus, but you guys, we don't get to pick and choose the Jesus we want to believe in. You got to take everything the scripture says, and you need to realize when he comes back, what he's going to do is he's going to show you and remind you when he comes back, he's coming back as king of kings to judge this world. So he points us there and he says, oh my goodness, in light of that day, why not today get your house in order? Because it's coming sooner than you may think. It's coming. It's coming that day. So now follow along as I begin reading in Luke 12, verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens. Oh, here's a fabulous phrase that does not fail. Banks fail. Funds fail. The market can plummet overnight. Oh, make yourself some money bags that do not fail. Where no thief approaches, no moth destroys. Verse 34, I want us to say together. Ready? If you got the ESV. For where your treasure is. Say that again. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Look at me. Irrefutable, irrefutable biblical principle from the mouth of your Savior. You don't have to like it. You can fuss and say, but, 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 but. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Your heart and my heart follows the money. You can say, oh, I really care about that. But if this is where your money's going, 
That's where your heart is. That's what you really care about. And so now he's going to help us some more. If this is the reality, oh my goodness, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He's going to give us some more information. How would we get these things lined up the way that they should be? Help us, Jesus. I love God's word. He doesn't, he doesn't just tell us what to do. The Bible is put together in a way that says, and here's how, and here's how, and here's how. Verse 35, stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning. Be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. In other words, look at me. He's talking about money and possessions. Don't be asleep at the wheel regarding your finances. Don't live your Christian life in a coma. Don't live your life just being sucked along with the culture and what the world is doing with their money and how they're treating stuff and how they're chasing after stuff. Don't. Be awake. Be alert. Be different. Be listening to him. Verse 37 again. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he'll come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake. You pick it up on a theme here. Dressed for action. Waiting. Ready. Awake. And finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be, say the word, say it louder, ready. Ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not know. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? Remember how I've, remember how I've told you there are times that Jesus is talking to the crowd And then sometimes they'll say, and he said to his disciples in front of the crowd. So Peter gets it. We're halfway through the book of Luke now. Peter is disturbed by this already, right? He's like, "Uh, can I get some clarity? Are you talking to us or just other people? And Jesus does what he loves to do. He doesn't answer the question. He asks a question of his own. But let me help you. He's talking to everybody. But he is most definitely talking to his followers and believers as well. Jesus, verse 42, and the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom the master will find so doing when he comes. Are you doing what he says to do with money and stuff? Are you living how he says to live? Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all the possessions Some scary verses coming, folks. Verse 45. But if that servant says to himself, Ah, my master's delayed his coming. And he begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect. And at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what was deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Let me help you. If right now you're, you're saying, what category am I in? Light beating, severe beating. Let me help you. Severe beating. Because now, unfortunately, you've been attending the services and you heard what he says. You realize there's people that don't know. They just don't know what the Bible teaches. They don't know. A regular day, I run into people that are like, I didn't know you're not supposed to sleep with your girlfriend. I didn't know that you're not supposed to have sex before marriage. 
I didn't know what the Bible says about money. Now you do. Do you realize often people make a mistake and they're like, Jesus was an amazing teacher. That's why he used parables with illustrations. Do you realize he actually says he used parables to keep people from understanding? Because the more you understand and don't do what you should do, the more accountable you are and you'll be judged more severely. You realize that? That's why his disciples often will pull him aside after the parable and say, Explain it to us. What's going on? And he would say, when you hit a certain point in each gospel, it'll say, and he spoke no more to the crowds except in a parable. The more you hear and don't do what he says, the more you will be judged. So he's merciful. I'm not going to keep telling you more if you're not going to do it. Well, you're in the category now. You can't say, I didn't know. I didn't know. You know. Verse 48, but the one who did not know and did what was reserved a beating will receive a light beating. Here you are, my friend. Here I am. Everyone to whom much was given. Not just talking about stuff. Yes, stuff. And if you're in America, eh, you're in that category too. But you've been given teaching. You've been given truth. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, They will demand the more. I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I want to, this is in light of the serious tone of this passage, I want to help you. How would you get ready then? How would you get ready for that day when you're going to stand before Jesus? You realize I hear believers make a mistake as if there's going to be no accountability. Yes, you're, you're right in your thinking, There's going to be two different judgments. There's the great white throne judgment where God will divide the sheep from the goats to decide who's going to heaven and who's not. But you realize, believers, there's a judgment called the Bema seat that has nothing to do with are you headed to heaven or are you headed to hell. That was settled when you put your faith in Jesus, but you will give an account for how you lived and what you did with the gifts he gave you, the opportunities he gave you, the money he gave you. It will not be like, oh, doesn't matter, doesn't matter, doesn't matter. And the Bible says some will be ashamed. Some will be ashamed. It does matter. You're going to give an account for what he gives you. So let me give you two ways you can get ready for that day. Number one, start using your money now the way you'll wish you'd used it when you stand before him. In other words, budget for judgment day. Handle it now in the, in the way you'll wish you'd handle it when you stand on that day. And I don't think I'm overstating the case. Because the spirit that you see in verses 35 to 40 are just steeped with this flavor of, oh, we are stewards. We are stewards. We are stewards who are handling his money and his stuff. And we're going to be accountable. We're going to have to answer for it. We're going to have to stand before him and give an answer for it. When he comes, be ready. Be ready, be ready. Jesus makes this clear, this stewardship thing clear again. By, you realize in 12 verses, he uses the word master and servant 15 times in 12 verses. Master, 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 servant, 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 servant. We're in a master-servant relationship. Oh yes, it's wonderful that Jesus is my savior. Jesus is my Lord. But when you say Jesus is Lord, I hope you realize you are saying, and therefore I obey, I follow, I listen. I want to know what he says and not just what he says. I want to try to do what he says. 
Lord Jesus is more than just a nice title. It indicates a relationship. I've submitted my life to somebody else. It's not just me deciding what I want to do with my life and my stuff. Master, servant. And look at the sense of expectation and accountability that you see in some of these verses. Look at verse 35. Stay dressed for action and keep the lamps burning. Not passive, active. Are you dressed for action regarding your stuff and your money? Verse 36, be like men who are waiting for their master. And when the Bible uses the word wait, it doesn't use it like we do. Like, ah, waste of time. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm wasting time. When the Bible uses the word wait, it's a word of expectation that you're leaning in with expectation that there is a king. There is a savior. There is a Lord. And he's coming. And I love him. And I long for him. The word wait in the Bible is not passive. It's active. It's expectant. Waiting, trust for action. Verse 37 talks about staying awake instead of being in a coma regarding your stuff. And verse 40 commands us to be ready at all times. Ready, waiting, dressed for action, alert. Let me ask you, do those words characterize the way you're handling your money at all? Dressed for action, ready. Wait. So often I hear people say, well, I'd like to give, but I just can't. Well, get ready to give. Start making changes so that you can live differently. Ready, waiting, watching. Do any of those words characterize the way you're handling your money and your stuff? In other words, is your financial house in order? Because you're going to give an answer for it. And he's coming back sooner than you may Imagine. This is not the only world. This is not even the main world. This is a vapor. This is a vapor. Oh, if the answer is no, you're not ready, then you need to make some changes. And soon, my friend, because here's what I want you to realize. You realize living in a financial mess is just as shameful and destructive as living in a sexual mess. I'm grateful that Christians, I feel like, are much more alert now to sexual sin. Like, whoa, I don't want to step in that. I want to be careful there. And there's just so many ways to sin sexually. My heart goes out to young kids today. Like, we didn't have phones. We had to find a Playboy magazine in the woods that someone stole from their father. And now, bless kids' hearts, it's just all right there on the phone, right on the computer. Even so much what's on TV, I'll say to Vicki often in one of our little shows, like, that's porn. That used to be considered porn, what they just showed We've had to end several little series that are mysteries, and we love the mystery part, but like the sexual part is just graphic. That used to be porn, and now it's made normal. We live in such a sexualized culture, and I think Christians are trying to get with it there. But here's what I watch. I I don't see the same level of concern or alertness over covetousness and greed and just being a financial mess, living just like the world. Got to have a bigger car. Got to have a bigger house. It's just the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. You realize the Bible puts those two things together. And here's why. Because a financial mess and a sexual mess, both, the Bible says, are shameful and can cause you to be snared in a way that now you're rendered fairly useless for the kingdom. Can a financial mess cause you to be fairly useless? It's what you worry about. It's what you think about. It's all you... And I'd like to do, but we can't. Yep. 
Can a sexual mess do that? Oh, yeah. And here's the other thing. You realize both are stewardship issues, sexual sin and financial sin. Think about what Paul says to Christians about our bodies and sexual sin. In 1 Corinthians 6, when he says, oh, don't just be having sex with a prostitute. Don't sleep with your girlfriend, boyfriend. And then he says this, because your body, talking to believers, is not your, say it, own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. You are the temple of the living God. Holy Spirit lives in you. Resurrected Savior lives in you. When you take your body there, you take him there. That's Paul's argument. Guess what? With your money, your money is not your, say it. That was weaker, louder. Your body's not your own. Your money's not your own. These are stewardship issues. We tend to think, all right, but, but, but I worked for this. I did this. I, I, I. Oh, no, 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 no. It's what God has done. And it's what God is giving. And God's word bumps these two sins together for a reason. Remember in the first week that we started, I gave you Ephesians 5, 3 that does this. Listen to it again. How it brings sexual sin and covetousness or greed together in one verse. But sexual immorality and all impurity... Or covetousness must not even be named among you. The NIV says there shouldn't even be a hint, not even a hint of sexual immorality or covetousness and greed. Just chasing stuff, living like the world as is proper among saints. I gave you the two Greek words. Porneia is sexual sin. What English word do we get from that? Porn. Pleonexia is the Greek word for covetousness or greed, from which we get the English word annex. I'm annexing. I push out my borders. I got to have more. I got to have more. It's the annexing of more. Pleonexia. What's the next thing? Because what I have right now is not okay. As soon as I have it, what's next? What's next? What's next? What's next? He says, porneia and pleonexia should both be unthinkable for Christians and are shameful. Cornelius Platinga says this, because I hear Christians sometimes say, oh, you wouldn't want to be doing that when Jesus returns. And it's almost a sex, always a sexual sin, some heinous sexual sin. And I agree. Like, oh, my goodness, think about it. You want to be doing that when Jesus, would you want to be sitting there in front of porn when Jesus splits the sky, the trumpet sounds and he returns? Guess what? We ought to think likewise. Do you want to be caught up in this financial mess? Chasing after the things of the world. Just padding your life like this is all there is. When Jesus returns. Do you want him to return with you living this way with your money? We ought to think the same way. Cornelius Platinga says, what if he returned while you were watching a porn site's live show? Wouldn't you be ashamed? But suppose he found us not at a porn show, but at a fashion show. Now, we could insert. Not, you, say, you may say clothes are not my thing. I've got the same flannel shirt for 15 years. Okay, maybe clothes aren't, but what we could say home show, right? Oh, my goodness. I need the, I need the garden tubs, the walk-in closet. I need a, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Cars may be your thing. Whatever. Clothes, cars, houses. What, suppose he found us lusting after designer jeans or the latest fashion in evening gowns. Suppose he found us in an atmosphere of materialism, greed, and snobbery. Is this a better theater? Are these more godly lusts? I love this phrase. Even though the clothes are on instead of off. 
is the whole show any less obscene? I don't think so. You guys, sometimes it breaks my heart. And, and it's among my pastor friends. One of the top problems with pastors is financially they're a mess. Yeah. We had our top person for the Evangelical Free Church come to our meeting we have every March in San Diego for lead pastors of churches of over a thousand. By God's grace, we're usually compensated well. Guess what the problem is? So many of them live in a financial mess that they're not retiring soon enough. And it's a problem. And the head of our denomination came and made a diplomatic little plea for everyone to get their act together and move on. Right? Because some guy's hanging on to his position. He's saying, oh, I can't retire yet. Financially, we can't. Why not? Because he just kept building a bigger house, getting bigger cars, doing more things, and he's not ready to retire. It can happen to anybody on both sides of the pulpit. Because we live in this culture that just pushes us. It's got to be more. It's got to be better. It's got to be bigger. Number two. Here's a way to fight. Don't forget that everything you have is a given. Not a gotten. Oh, especially with our money. I know it's hard to to set aside and, and not think, I did it. I did it. I worked hard. I worked really hard. I made plans. I... The Bible talks about working hard. The Bible talks about discipline. The Bible talks about all of that. And then it says, wrap around all of that, the sovereignty of God. You realize, And I try to do that even with this church, you guys. Whatever it is, whether it's money, whether it's success, whether it's... People will reach out to me constantly. I've been here 26 years, right? And by God's grace, this went from 35 people in a middle school to three campuses and 2,000 people. So I have young guys reach out. Oh, Pastor Brad, can I meet with you about church planting? What did you do? How did you? And the thought is, you did something right and you are amazing. Tell me what you did. My first statement is always, first, God is absolutely sovereign. And he chose to do this. I hope you realize, I try to keep it in mind. There are guys that are godly and maybe more godly than me that prayed just as hard as I did maybe more and that are just as gifted maybe more and they are in a small church if God doesn't decide to sovereignly say all right I'm going to do something really special here it ain't going to happen you may have worked hard I even I like reading books by Malcolm Gladwell not a Christian but sociologist tipping point all kinds blink he's got one called outliers And in there, he tracks with people like Bill Gates, where it's like, yeah, Bill Gates, gazillionaire. Is Bill Gates smart? Yes. Are there other people just as smart that aren't that rich? Yes, that's what he points out. Bill Gates was in the right place at the right time in our country, in our history, at a university that had a computer that nobody else has. And he and his friends went there every night and spent all night on it, working with it and learning. Did he work hard? Yes. Did he make sacrifices? Yes. But God sovereignly chose for Bill Gates to be the one that launched Microsoft. Whether it's your church, whether it doesn't matter what it is, you guys, keep in mind, everything is a given, not a gotten, not a gotten. I'm so grateful for what God has done here, but I also feel so responsible for what God has done here. Along with blessing is responsibility. So that's why I still pray and fast so hard. God, this is more than I can take care of. I will get, Hebrews 13 says, I will give an answer to him for you. That's terrifying. I'm going to get, the elders will give an answer to him for you. So it's not just, oh man, let's make it bigger, bigger. I'm accountable 
What did I do with what he brought here? Are we making disciples? Are we following the Bible? Are we shepherding right? Everything is a given, not a gotten. And so think about it. At the end of the day, it's not really how hard you worked to get it, but how good God was to give it to you. Whatever you have, wherever you are, wherever you've arrived. Here's bonus. Maybe jot this down. It's not in your outline. James 1, 16 and 17. Do not be deceived. I love how often the Bible will start by saying, don't be deceived. Why? We regularly deceive ourselves and are thinking what we shouldn't be thinking, which usually is way too much about us. Do not be deceived, my brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. Every good gift, every, everything is a given not a gotten. You say, okay, 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 Brad. Week three and, and I'm a mess. What do you want me to do about it? Glad you asked. Here's what I want you to do about it. I want you to make a plan. If you say, I'm in a mess. I want you to make a plan. I want you to sit down and think through your finances and find out where it's all going. Because my friend, it's going somewhere and it doesn't just grow legs and walk off. It went somewhere because you sent it somewhere when you spent it somewhere. You may not know where it's going, but figure it out. It's like, oh, and, and now I'm going to say a word that some of you are just going to shudder. That's what a budget. I said it. Some of you are like, buh, 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 buh. that's what a budget's for. You realize a budget is nothing more than telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went or just watching it go. A budget is telling your money where to go because it's going somewhere. And so let me give you some reasons you should create a budget and get more serious about being ready, dressed for action, awake regarding your money and your stuff. Number one, budget for that judgment day. I don't know who said it, but I like it. Someone said the difference between a dream and a goal is a plan. We live in a culture now that just talks all the time. What's your dream? What's your dream? What do you want? You can do anything you want. Just think it. Oh, I want to be a. That's so stupid. You can't be anything you want. You have a level of giftedness. And then you better make a plan or you're not going to do anything. Just dreaming and knowing what your passion is. What's your plan? What's your plan? The difference between a dream and a goal is a plan. A plan takes that desired future. That's where you want. Even here at the church, right? I recognize God has blessed. But when I got here, I thought, what should be a priority? What? We're singing to a cassette tape player. We, we don't have children's classes. We, there were so many things. I, I had to make a plan. I think I'll focus on groups first. Because if people get connected in a relationship, they'll stay even if the worship is sad. Oh, as they begin to grow, now there's kids running everywhere. And it's not okay that I say, oh, we had nothing for the kids. So I tried to get people to teach Sunday school. But I called through the whole directory and no one would. So I was like, okay, that's fun. So me and another guy played our guitars. And we got it going. And I had a plan. Step by step. And then after two years, I said, I can't take any more of the cassette tape player. Let's have live worship. And I waved a guitar around and said, if you play an instrument, please tell me and come. We had a plan. Now, God blessed. But we had a plan. I didn't wake up every day thinking, I don't know. I don't know. I hope it's a great church one day. And I was counseling in my basement thinking, it can't be me just forever. I've got to train others. So I begged deacons and elders and student ministry leaders to sit in and watch what I was doing. There was a plan. 
Even you think about the most famous person that ever used that word dream. I have a Martin Luther King, you guys, made such an impact. Yes, he had a dream. He also had a plan and some specific action steps to get there. An assassin's bullet snuffed his life short. But he made a huge difference because he didn't just go around saying, I have a dream. He had a plan and he had some action steps to get there. And so some of you need to realize, because I've talked about the sovereignty of God, don't make a mistake here. Yes, God is sovereign. You realize the Bible is not against making plans? The Bible is not against making plans. Here's what it says. Make plans and be sure you hold those plans loosely, recognizing the sovereignty of God. But it doesn't say make no plans. Make plans and say, we've prayed, we've thought. I think we'll go this way, God. I think we'll do this. But you are sovereign. You have the freedom to redirect at any point. But the Bible doesn't teach fly by the seat of your pants, and that's super spiritual. Even like with sermons, I've got pastor friends that think it's so godly to not prepare because then the spirit in the moment will just give them what to say. Well, what they have to say isn't worth hearing. When you prepare, I still pray, fill me with the spirit, help me, God. But I worked 15 to 20 hours on this. 15 to 20 hours. I preach it for eight hours in the den. Over and over and over. Why? So I can step away from my notes and I'm not reading it to you. This didn't just happen. I'm not complaining. It's a labor of love. It's a baby I birth every week. <laughs> Look at the baby. Love her. And then do what she said because I killed myself on this. This didn't just happen. On sunny days, I'm in my den instead of being outside. I love you. I'm happy to do it for you. But, ooh. Sovereignty of God does not negate hard work or making plans. You think about Proverbs, a book of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9 says, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. He's not saying, oh, stop making plans because God has to do it all. Notice what he's saying. The heart of a man makes his plans. Then you say, here's my plan. And as you start moving forward, unless God establishes those steps, it won't happen. But he's very often very pleased to establish those steps. Especially if you've got good counsel and you're looking at God's word. And I think this would honor him. I think I'll make plans. And then move forward knowing God's going to have to establish those steps or it won't happen. But he doesn't say don't make plans. Proverbs 6, 6 to 8. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. And the whole point on what he's saying right there is that the ant, who doesn't even have a chief officer or a boss telling her what to do, does something today that's in preparation for a future day. And he's saying, be like her. Be like her. Make plans. She knows winter's coming. And she makes plans. She prepares. Go to the ant, sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer, and gathers her food in harvest. The Bible never says don't make plans. It simply says, have written all over those plans, Deo Valente. You know what that means? It's Latin, God willing. 50, 100 years ago, they used to write at the end of all their letters and their contracts and their plans, their business plans, Deo Valente. Here's what we're going to do. We've prayed, we've thought, God willing. Just keep that in mind. Make plans, but Deo Valente, that whole thing. God willing, 
God, I try to be very careful. I don't know if you've ever noticed in your interactions with me. You know, last, last summer we were giving a sabbatical. I, I relentlessly said, Lord, what are you going to do, Pastor Brad? I never said, we're going to Montana. We're going to Hawaii. We're going to Tennessee. We may be going nowhere. One of my parents could die. I could have a health issue, another pandemic. I would say, Lord willing, we're going to. Even like now, as I shared with you about the patio home, we're making plans. Will you hold it loose? Lord willing, this is what I don't ever say what we're going to do. But we make plans. He's not against making plans. In fact, it's what a wise steward would do if he knew he's going to give an answer for it. So don't act like it's unspiritual to have spreadsheets and to crunch numbers and to use, use plans to figure out where is it going and what should it be doing and what should we adjust. Just hold it loosely. I'll give you an example in our own life. So we had five kids and I'm the one working. She's homeschooling. We decided I want her to be able to be my wife more. If she works another job, she'll be tapped out, exhausted. So it's a choice we made to have to live on one income. I thought we have five kids. I want them to go to college. I want them to be able to go to college. I didn't just think, hope that works out. Oh God, please provide for college. I made plans and I prayed. I watch people just all of a sudden, their oldest child is college age and like, what are we going to do? You should have seen that coming. Every baby becomes a teenager. And unless it's a boy that does something ferociously frightened and dies, they become college age and they go to college. Make plans when they're little is the time to say, so what should we do now? So I thought it through and I was like, you know what? I bet I could pay half tuition. That was our deal with our kids. Half tuition, not at some campus university in California. No, go Norseman, NKU, right here. I think I could do half tuition if they do half tuition. And so I said, I'm gonna pay off the house early. If the house is paid off when I'm 45, that would be about when kids go to college and I could shift all that house payment money towards college. There was the plan. Do you realize you start paying $100 extra to the principal on your house payment? Ha, huh. do a spreadsheet. I don't remember the exact number. I believe we saved $48,000 in interest by just paying $100 extra to the principal. Was it easy? No, we had to tighten our belts. But like the ant, we were doing something now that's hard in preparation for one day, but we held it loosely so my goal was to have the house paid off at 45. Then this sweet church family was ready to move into our first building right here. And we said to the whole church family in 2003, pray. Pray what you could give as a one-time offering. We don't need it over three years. We need it now because the cost of construction just keeps. Right now, you borrow from your home mortgage. You borrow from your 401k. You realize people sitting all around you sacrificed greatly for us to have this. This didn't just happen. There are people who gave large sums of money and then had to pay themselves back. So we prayed, Vicki and I, and we decided, I think God wants us to give $20,000. Well, guess what that did to my plan? We borrowed it from the house, set us back. It wasn't paid off at 45. It was paid off at like 48, 49, I don't remember. But we thought it was right. Make plans. Hold those plans loosely, loosely, but make plans. Budget for that day. Number two, budget for God's glory budget for God's glory. Stop thinking of a budget as a straight jacket and a punishment. Consider this new word picture. Consider a budget being railroad tracks 
that can take you places you could never go flying by the seat of your pants. Oh my goodness, you guys, there is a freedom. There's a cost, but there's a freedom. You can go places and get to points in life that you never thought possible when you have a budget. You know, I I just feel like people are like so anti-budget. I want to do what I want to do with my money and I want to have fun. How much fun are you having right now? Never knowing what's going on and thinking, oh my goodness, we're out again. We're out again. We're out again. It's not fun. There's a freedom and there's a peace and there's a joy and an ability to get places that you would not be able to get any other way. I'd like, I'd like you to think about this. Radical thought. Consider a budget as an act of worship. Because you're saying, God, I want to be ready for that day. And I'm acknowledging you're the master and I'm the servant. So here's my act of worship. I'm taking much more seriously. Where's it all going? What is going on here? And I want to do better with it on multiple levels because I'm going to give an answer for it. And listen, oh, if you're sitting there right now thinking, oh, budget, that would take so much time and that would be so hard. Yeah, it used to. When I started this in 1986, our first year of our marriage, oh, paper and pencil. Yes, trying to make all these categories in the bottom right number add up to the total that's in the checking. thought I was going to lose my mind. Math is not my strong suit. So I think we're okay. Maybe we're not okay at all. But paper and pencil, it took hours every weekend with a stack of receipts. She saved all her receipts. I saved all my receipts. And now I have to figure these all out with a calculator. You don't have to do that anymore. Software. There are apps. Oh, my goodness. And here's what thrilled me. I just Googled top budgeting apps for 2022. Show it, please. Your pastor has been using the number one app for 10 years now. That's right. He doesn't just know Bible. But I can't take credit for that. Last time I preached on giving, somebody in our church came up to me. He's like, oh, Pastor Brad, you got, you got to move past the little paper pencil thing. He said, oh, why not? You need a budget. That sweet man came to my, because I am techie not. He came to my house on a Saturday and spent four or five hours helping me understand how to set this up. So it may take you a little bit to set it. Worth it. All my bank accounts are synced together to the cloud. I now spend like 20, 25 minutes every weekend just balancing all the accounts. As you live life, you type it in. I'm standing at the gas pump. I just filled up my car for $38.40 at UDF. I just stand right there and I go, 38.40 UD. And it guesses because I always get gas at the UDF behind it and says, auto, gas. I'm like, yeah, do it. I go to Kroger to buy a bag of kale for the new week. And as I type it in, that's two twenty nine for Kroger. It's like food. I'm like, yeah, food. Oh my goodness, this is so easy. And it's all, if you have a spouse, their phone can be synced to the same thing. And you're just, you're doing it as you live life. And then you can look. See, a budget, I'm talking about having a working budget. A budget is no good if you put it together and just stick it in a drawer. Here's the other thing that's helpful about a budget. I'm standing in Dillard's or Macy's with the half-off shirts. And there's a shirt calling to me. I I want it. I think I'd look good in that. That works for me. I pull out my phone. I don't have to go home and say, do I have my... I pull out my phone. I touch Brad, play. It's red. That's not good. That means negative. (laughs) It's like, oh, no. And I walk away from the shirt. I walk away. 
It's crying out to me, but I walk away. It's like, no, 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 I forgot that I just got some special bourbon or whatever. And Because you do not remember what you've been doing. You do not remember, oh, yeah, there was that. And there was that. And there was that. And this can help you. Whoa. Whoa. You know where it's going. And you've set what you're going to spend in certain areas. And, oh, very freeing. So number three, budget for judgment day. Budget for the glory of God. But for crying out loud, budget for your own sanity. It is so stressful to be in a financial mess. It is so stressful to be anxious. It is so stressful to not know what's going on. There's controversy over whether he really said it or not, but somebody said it, and I like it. Albert Einstein supposedly said, the definition of insanity, insanity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. Some of you keep doing the same thing over and over with your money, hoping it'll work out better. Or worse than that, you know what you do? You keep thinking to yourself, there's one solution to this. I just need more money. I just need more money. You might, but guess what? The first step would be getting control over the money you do have and figuring out where it's going. Because I'm going to say something you might not like, but I think it's quite true. It could be, you guys, that until you demonstrate before God as your master and you as his servant, that you're doing well and have control of the money you do have that he's not going to give you anymore because it would just be more that you would squander and be accountable for and take a beating for i hope you really i hear people like oh as soon as i get out of college and i'm making it'll solve everything if you if you're a little older than you now all of a sudden you realize oh my goodness i thought it was going to be so much better and it's no better because it just kind of has this ability just evaporate because you step it up you step it up you step it up if you don't have a budget First step is get control over what you do have and show God that you're a good steward of what you do have and he might send you more. Number four, budget for every season of life. Don't put yourself in a certain category right now like, ah, I'm just a kid. I'm a teenager. I'm single. Every season, whatever season you're in, you say, when should I start working on this? Now, now. So parents, even if you're in a mess yourself and your parents didn't help you, oh, help your kids, help your kids. Don't let them repeat what you're doing with our kids, all five kids. I took three empty peanut butter jars and I just put packing tape around them and I printed little labels that said, give 10%, save 50%, spend 40%. Kids. So when they got a $10 bill from Mima in the card, I took it to the bank and got ones and $1 went in give, $5 went in save and four went in spend. You're like, you are so mean. No, I'm getting them ready for real life. We've got parents that think their job is make sure they feel no pain, suffer no hardship. They just have this blissful life and that's why they're doing so poorly. They launch and they're like, oh man, life's hard. Yes, get them ready for that. So they'll know every every dollar you get is not yours to spend. Now you're going to have to save for a while to get that little toy helicopter. Because four won't get it. It's like every time I get some... You say, well, what are they saving? What's the saving for? A car. Because yours truly didn't, for graduation, give them their own new... A new car! No. I said, we got a matching plan here. Whatever you save for a car. So start now, little buddy. Like start now. Shoveling, mowing giving blood, whatever you, need, whatever you can do. Because whatever you save for a car, I'll match. 
That's how it worked. Most of them saved 2000 2500 I would match it. You get a used Corolla for like five. Until Garrett came along and saved $10,000. <laughs> new rule. And as a parent, you're allowed to make new rules along the way. I'm like, that ain't happening. I'm not giving 10 because you're not driving a $20,000 car. But they got used to. All right, I'm saving for a car. You don't do them any favors by just giving them everything. That's not real life. Even like, you know, my kids were just like your kids, I'm sure. They're like, why don't we have a jet ski? Why don't we have a boat? Why don't we go to Disney World? You have money. I know you do. Right? So here's what I did one time. I took my paycheck and I went to U.S. Bank. They had to actually send to another building and I had to go back another day. I said, I want this all in ones. Well, they don't have that many ones. And then I got it in one of those blue bank zipper bags. And on a Friday night, family night, let's have fun learning together. I I just gathered them around the table and I had little budgets. I had a mock of our budget, a simplified form, house payment, electric, food, car repairs, car insurance, home insurance. Like, welcome to life. And then I just unzipped that bag and shook it in the middle of the dining room table. You can imagine they're just like, that's what we thought. You have money. I'm like, okay, hang on. Here's what we're going to do. Harrison, here, take out $838 for the house payment. That's a lot of ones. Like, boom, 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 boom. All right, so-and-so, now take out this much for food. Now take out this for it. Because I'm saving for insurance. Insurance rolls around once a year, but hello, you know it's coming. Why not save for it? And I've got this budget. And when we were done, I think there were like three sad, crumpled ones sitting there. And I said, that's why we can't just get a jet ski or go to Disney World every other summer. Help them understand how real life works from an early age. Teenagers don't think I'm just a teenager. Start now. Budgeting and giving. Singles. Oh, one of the worst things you could do is just run out and rack up debt. There are people in their 40s and 50s still digging their way out of things they did when they were in their 20s and 30s. Don't just go buy some amazing car. Don't take three and four all-inclusive trips every year with your friends. On social media, I'm like, what's going on? It's Greece. It's Italy. It's here. It's there. It was forever before I left this country. And I've read articles that say young kids today have no money for a down payment on a house because they're all taking trips. They're all just going everywhere, spending money. Don't do stupid stuff when you're single and young that will haunt you the rest of your days. And married couples, oh, sometimes I get asked, so who should do the budget, the guy or the girl? Whoever's better at it, right? So there's not a biblical verse, but I will say this. It can't be one of you's doing the budget and the other's just a doofus. No idea. I'm just ordering things online. I'm having the best time of my life. And she's the one awake at night saying, how's it going to work out? All these bills. Team. Team. One may do it, but you're a team. Vicky and I have been a team. She knows what's going on. She's in the game. She knows what our goals are. She's aware of where we are. Team, even though I'm the one that sits down and does it. It'll take both of you to work together on this. A couple of years ago, I received an email from a, a young woman in our church. And I love this, staying in the same place a long time. She was 16 when I got here. Oh, she has four siblings. I've done all five of their weddings. These were all kids, and now they're married with kids. And she wrote me a couple of years ago. She was 16 when, when I arrived here. And now she's grown up. She's a wife. She's a mother. And she said this. 
She said, good morning. Just wanted to share a happy thought I had last week. My memory isn't great, but I think maybe a year or two into our marriage, you preached a sermon series on money. I only remember because two things came out of it for us. We started tithing on the gross instead of the net, and we started upping our giving in whatever ways we could. I'll address that. Sometimes people say, so should I tithe on the gross or the net? Here's my answer. You want gross blessings or net blessings? I want gross blessings. And let's be honest, you guys, that, that's, you're, you're playing a little game. When you do talk about your salary and say to somebody, oh, I make, do you quote net or do you quote the price that they said to you when they said, we'll hire you for 60K? You make 60K. Just because some of it goes to taxes and insurance, praise God, you have it for taxes. And, but God is sending your way, whether you get to have it in your hand and spend it, 60K. So I would want to tithe on what he is bringing in all together. She says, my husband made about 30000 a year when we first got married. And I worked, but we were using my income to pay off debt. Subsequently, we had to be creative in our giving. I love this. Right now, we are doing premarital counseling with another couple. How cool is that? And we re-listened to one of your giving messages. As we heard it again, we realized that by the grace of God through your preaching, we've done what you taught us from God's word. We budget. We give big towards kingdom things. We lend our possessions freely and we give openly, not secretly. As our income has risen through the years, we've given more and more. Last year, we gave away about 30% of our income to the church, to missionaries, to ministries, and to kingdom builders. Now, this is the same couple that I mentioned when I was making phone calls during COVID and we were shut down. This is one of those couples that she said, oh, my goodness, Pastor Brad, my husband's business has done so well. We've made so much money. We know God doesn't want us to spend all this. So we're praying what we should do with a bunch of this. Now, here's my point. I believe when God sees that when he sends you money, it doesn't stay with you, that you're simply a channel. It gets other places. You realize God... Yes, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Yes, he ultimately has it all. He wants to get it into the hands of different people and different ministries. If he thinks you're one that would do it, he'll often just bring more. When he sees how you're operating, but when he sees it just stays with you, then he'll often just say, I'm looking for somebody else. Looking for somebody else because I want some of this to get other places. She says, I'm telling you this because I want you to know we do our best to do the things that you preach. Sometimes it's hard. She said, when we shifted from tithing on the net to the gross, we thought it would never work. We had to tighten our belt in a couple budget areas to make it. But we've seen the goodness of God and the benefits of applying your preaching. So as we close, I want to say thank you. I realize it's not just Pastor Brad and it's not just this one couple. There are hundreds of people living the way I'm talking about that know what I'm talking about, the blessing of seeing God provide, of having freedom to not be under this weight of this mess. But I know there's some of you that are in a mess. And you may think there's no hope. I want you to know there is hope. But let me, let me give you some qualifiers around that hope. That hope involves more than prayer. Sometimes I say to people, so what are you doing? Oh, we're praying. We're praying about it. That's a good first step. If you really want to get out of this mess, pray. Humble yourself. Sit down, make a plan, figure out where it's going, and involve somebody else if you need to for help and accountability. You realize we don't just do marriage counseling, addiction counseling, parenting counseling. We do financial counseling. So if you need help, call the church office and say, we need help. We don't want to keep living the way we've 
been living. Help us for free. We've got free counseling. Oh my goodness, don't keep, because here's the deal. Five minutes after you die, you'll know exactly how you wish you'd lived and what you wish you'd done with your money. Why not? Why not start this year and the rest of your life closing the gap on what you'll wish you'd done and what you actually did for the glory of God? Get help. Get help. Set up a budget. And here, I'm going to say it again. One of the best ways to show God that you're serious is to give right off the top automatically. Set it up. All the ministries you want to help outside this church and the money you want to give to our church family, set it up automatically. Don't say, well, let's see what's left this month and off the top, off the top, automatic. We're going to give, we're going to give and we're going to stretch and we're going to trust you, God, and see what you are able to do through us. Oh God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's not just about heaven and hell and it's not just warning us about sexual sin, but oh God, thank you. Thank you for all the warnings and all the parables about possessions and money and covetousness and greed. Lord, I pray that we would be a peculiar people, not just because our bodies are not our own, but because our money is not our own. May we live as stewards of a body that is your temple and as stewards of money that we are just managing that all came from you. Help us. Help us. Oh, people who don't have hope, give them hope right now. Don't let them hear the lies of the evil one or their own flesh. Lord, I pray that you would stir in every person here, wherever they are, to take the next step, to go to the next level, to grow, and to see what you can do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.